Welcome, everybody. Welcome to our new Linux Campus Center, Homer Campus Center, Orland Campus, and online. Doing uh, Prodigal Son, uh, Luke 15 story. It's like our theme story here. I think it's Jesus' theme story. Um, and if you didn't hear last week, I just think you ought to hear last week. Go online. I, I was pretty fired up about it. My brother-in-law saw this out driving around rural Missouri. Bring your spiritual marshmallows because our pastor is on fire! You know, the only problem with that is you know the pastor put the sign up, so I don't, I don't even... that. That's ridiculous. But the reason that we're doing that, I am pretty fired up about this topic. This is our vision. This is what we do, okay? And, and the problem is, as we get older, we forget stuff. My favorite, my favorite story, the two old guys talking about a restaurant um, that one of them ate the day, you know, the day before, the week before, and, and he couldn't remember what it's called. And the other guy was like, well, you know, you got it? And well, what was it called? I mean, it sounded really good. And he's like, well, What's the name of that flower? It has really pretty petals and smells good, but it has thorns on the stem. And the other guy goes, Rose? Yeah, that's it. Hey, Rose, what was the name of that restaurant we ate at last week? <laughs> that's not really getting that much funnier anymore. It's kind of getting less funny as time goes on for me. But, but, but as we get older, we kind of forget what we're supposed to be about and what we're supposed to do. So I want to encourage you to be here next week. I'm going to get you ready for Thanksgiving with a gratitude adjustment. We're going to do at the movies then after that. We're going to do Christmas movies and all of them are new except for one that I'm bringing back and that's going to be the whole after Thanksgiving season leading us up to and including Christmas Eve. Um, so I hope that, I hope that you'll come and, and be a part of that and invite your friends. And we're going to do 24 Christmas Eve services, okay? Three, all three campuses, we got multiple services, four more services than we've ever done before. And I want you to be thinking about, you know, when you're going to come. And I also want you to be thinking about, it, you know, who you're going to invite, you know, who, and I want you to pray for them. Here's what we did. We did this this week. Um, here's a picture of, we took the tags that you filled out last week, any of you at any of our campuses. We planted a tree at our Orland campus with our staff, and we took the names that you were praying for, uh, that you're going to invite, that, that need Jesus. Uh, we put the names underneath the tree, and, and it'll be something there to just kind of remind us. And we're going to do it again at a different campus this week. So uh, you, wherever campus you're at, we want to encourage you to fill that out. Put it in a giving box on the way out, okay? And we will collect them all, and we will pray for them. It'll just be a way for us to, to remember what we're supposed to be doing, okay? Here's what we learned last week, two parts of this Luke 15 thing. You aren't bad enough to stay away from God, and you aren't good enough to deserve to be with Him. All right, everybody's in the middle, and if everybody's in the middle, it kind of helps us get everything put together. We learned that the prodigal, the one who ran away, lived like dad was dead and ended up in the worst place he could possibly have imagined. Smelled like pigs. He was feeding pigs. That was the worst place a Jewish person could be. But he made a key decision. He remembered his father was good, and he went home. What did we learn about God, our good father, from this story that Jesus tells us? Well, we learned that he will allow us to leave. He gives us free will. We learned that he won't always shield us from the pain because sometimes if you're feeling the pain right now, sometimes the pain is going to be the thing that's going to make you wake up and decide to come home. But one way or another, that is always going to welcome us home. Charles Dickens calls this the greatest short story ever written, and he knows a few things, and I totally agree with him. And here, here is why, okay? I told the beginning of the story last week, but I didn't really mention why Jesus was telling it, and this is really important. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. 
But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, the word muttering there is the word we get diarrhea from. I'm not trying to mess up your day, but I'm telling you that, I mean, think about it. Jesus, he's hanging out with the sinners, okay? And the problem was he wasn't just hanging out with them, he was eating with them. And that was a sign of honor. That was a sign of acceptance. Okay, it wasn't just that, like Jesus was like, oh, you poor sinner people, I'll, I'll help you and I'll feed you. No, he's, he's having fellowship with them. It is an extreme level of acceptance that Jesus has for the people, for the prodigals. And in answer to their extreme problems, and that's why the prodigal ended up in the most extreme place in Jesus' parable that he was feeding pigs. And the father demonstrated extreme love in that he ran to his child because that was the story of acceptance of the people who are outside of the kingdom. And, 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 and again, this diarrhea muttering of the church leaders, they aren't even talking to Jesus. Did you notice this? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. This man, well, what's his name? I mean, they're talking to the crowd, right? So this is like Facebook. Do you see? Do you see what I'm saying? This is like social media. They're not even going to, like, talk to the person. They're not even going to, you know, they're just going to, like, oh, well, you heard about Jesus, you know. He eats with those sinners. He seems to like these sinner people. Well, no wonder that Parkview, such a big church and has three campuses and 24 Christmas Eve services, they let sinners in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. And welcome. We're glad you're here. And here's the secret, okay? We're not really a church. We're not really a church. I hate to let this secret out, but Parkview's really a spiritual hospital. And that's why this thing is working, okay? Because Jesus said, the healthy don't need a doctor. If you're healthy, you don't need, you don't need church. It's the sick. That's why Jesus came. And here's the, here's the problem. Really religious people do not want to be at the hospital. Really well people don't usually want to go hang out in the hospital. Or they put on one of those little masks when they walk around so that they're not contaminated by, by the people that are there. And that was the Pharisees' problem. And that's what happens in a lot of churches. It's an attitude that creeps into a lot of churches. It was in Jesus' church in his day, and it's in the church in our day. And what ends up happening is that the people who are supposed to be sharing the cure end up keeping it for themselves. Is that crazy? Ah, oh, well, I'm healed. Sucks to be you, but I got mine. I'm, I'm, I'm all good. And the attitude becomes, you, got, you get healthy first, and then maybe you can come in and join us. It's like this sign I love. No trespassing. Violators will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Sign the Sisters of Mercy. <laughs> right? It's ridiculous. My favorite parable of this outside the Bible is from Theodore Waddell, who wrote the story of the life-saving station. Just, just listen. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but a few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. And with no thought for themselves, they would go out day and night searching for the lost. And some of them who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and give their time and money to help the crews do their work and rescue people. And new boats were bought and new crews were trained. And the little life-saving station grew. And some members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place ought to be provided as a refuge for those who were saved from the sea. 
So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. And now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. They decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely, and they used it sort of as a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to go do the work for them. However, the life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decoration. About this time, there was a large ship that was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty. They were sick. Some of them had different color skin. The beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower built outside the club where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities since they, they were unpleasant and they were a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as the primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station, but they were finally voted down and told if they wanted to save the lives of those kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And so they did. As the years went by, a new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It evolved into a club, yet another life-saving station was founded, and history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drowned. This is what the father did when he came in. When the prodigal son came in, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. That's what's supposed to happen. That's what the life-saving station is for. for those who are, are lost from their father to be reunited again. But not everybody was happy. Here's the point of the whole story. Remember, Jesus is saying this in reference to the diarrhea-muttering Pharisees who were complaining about the prodigals hanging around. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Never good when you hear meanwhile, right? Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants over and asked what was going on. Your brothers come home, he replied, and your father's killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Ought to be good, right? But meanwhile is, you know, I mean, when something's good going on and you say meanwhile, that means it's probably bad. Exactly. Meanwhile, in a comic book or on a cartoon, right? Meanwhile, Batman is about to be lowered into the poisonous vat. Meanwhile, the damsel's been tied to the train tracks. I hear the narrator from Rocky and Bullwinkle in my head. Most of you have no frame of reference for that, so I'll just go on. The older brother, meanwhile, became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and, and, and said to him and pleaded with him, he said, to his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you killed a fatted calf for him. Got a little family issue here. Come on in, son. We're having a party. No, I'm not going in there. I'm not going in there, dad. 
I don't want to go in. This is a huge insult to the father. And it gets worse when he starts to talk. He says, look, look, dad. I mean, he doesn't even say father. He doesn't even, it's not a sign of respect. This is a sign of disrespect. And, and what else does he say? This son of yours, right? This son of yours, what does that mean? I mean, he's, he's, literally, he's literally disowning himself from the family at this point. Not my brother. It's not my brother anymore. I'm renouncing my family. I don't want to be in here. He's angry, and he's out there, and he's refusing to go in. Why? Why would that be? It's because of this, and this is the foundational problem for most of what happens in Christianity. He had a terrible understanding of his father. And we cannot ever let that happen here. So the question I ask today is, how do you know when you start to become more like the older brother and you're not even paying attention, you don't even realize it. I call it OBS, okay? How do you know you got OBS, older brother syndrome, right? How, how do you know that, that you've turned into this? How do you know as a church that you've turned into this, all right? Well, the first thing is we become very selfish. <clears throat> I mean, what the brother is saying is, hey, what about me, right? You killed a fatted calf for him. I didn't get to have one. How come I didn't get to have my party? How come I didn't get to have a celebration? When is it my turn? And the older brother's having this pity party. And, and please understand this, okay? If you are a Christian already and you're, you're, you're checking out Parkview or you're watching online or what you're thinking about, maybe, maybe this would be a place for you to come when you move here, whatever it is, I need you to understand. I need to be really, really clear. It's never going to be about you if you're already a believer. It's never going to be. And it's never going to be about me. It's always going to be about God because he's like, you know, God, okay? So, so follow that, right? If it's going to be about God, it's going to be about God's heart. That's what this church is always going to be. It's always going to be about God's heart. And what is God's heart always about? Have you ever lost a kid? I mean, what do you think? His heart is always for those who aren't home. That's why he sent his one and only son to die on the cross so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's what it's always going to be about. But we run the risk of falling into this trap. John Ortberg says it's really hard to stop being the prodigal and not turn into the older brother. And he's right. I mean, a lot of times, the longer we hang out, that's what happens. And, it, and the first sign of it is that we get selfish. Jesus tells a story right before this where he talks about a shepherd who had 100 sheep and he loses one. And Jesus said he leaves the one sheep, he goes for looking for the one sheep, and he leaves the 99 sheep in the open field. So fascinating. He doesn't, like, put them in a pen. He doesn't leave them with another shepherd. He just leaves them to go find the one. And what do you think that those 99 sheep were saying? What about me? <laughs> right? And, and, and you walk into the average church in the United States of America, and that's what people are doing. And, and nobody's going after the lost one. And Jesus says, listen, the point is, I tell you the truth, that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who don't need to. Because that's the heart of God. Because finding sheep is the, is the main thing. And we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. And the difference between the story of about the coin and the sheep is in contrast to the story of this son 
is that the, the father couldn't go search for the son. He had free will. We talked about this last week. Sheep and coins don't have free will. So all the father could do was hope that someday, because of the atmosphere he provided here in the home, and because the gate was open and there was no sign there, and his son would know that, that someday one of his, his son would wake up and realize that it was time to come home. One of the goals, one of the, one of the reasons I believe God's put me here on this earth is, is this message, okay? I, I got a book I'm working on to help foster this. The work I do with other churches in general is to help foster a better understanding of Christianity and what it ought to be. And that's why we do what we do here, to create a desirable atmosphere for your kids. So, so that if they do wander away, they can always remember there's a place of warmth and love and joy and fun. And so, that, so that providing spiritual food for those who are hungry and, and help for those who are hurting like a hospital would, that when people out there are beat down in sin, and maybe it's you, when they're beat down in sin and they're living with the pigs, that they'll, that they'll wake up one day and go, hey, I know a place I could go. I know a place I heard about. It's called Parkview Christian Church. And yes, you are welcome. The church ought to be attractive. That's what Paul said, make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So we can't be selfish, right? Uh, that's OBS if we're selfish. OBS is also when we turn into gracists. You know what a gracist is? It's a word I, I actually made up, okay? I deserve to be with the Father and you don't. It's the same stupidity as racism, except it's not about the color of your skin, it's about the color of your sin. It's about the color, you know, I mean, you're, you're worse than me. Well, what does he say? He says, look, all these years, <laughs> all these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Come on. You're a big hypocrite. I, I've, I've held this picture in my files for a really long time. This woman was complaining about construction going on outside her home because she was pregnant, and and, and sh Melissa, <laughs> yeah, I'm really worried about, <laughs> really worried, <laughs> sorry. <I'm just laughs> I have the spiritual gift of making fun of people. I, it's bad, it's not, it's not good. Um, the brother is a hypocrite, okay? He's comparing his actions to his lost brother. What does he say? I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. I'm a good guy. You know what Mark Twain says? <clears throat> a clear conscience is a sure sign of a bad memory. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. Jesus tells another story in Luke 18. And he, I mean, he's on this topic all the time. And he told another parable to some who trusted in, listen to this wording, trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Doesn't that sound like the 21st century church as much as it did back then? Well, I do all the right things. I come to church. I've done Rooted. I'm in the million chapters reading plan. I don't yell at my kids. Pretty good spouse. I do online giving. My online giving is above my cell phone company now. I'm doing pretty good on that. You know, racism is just so dumb because none of us deserve to be in the house with the Father. What this is really about, I was thinking about this this week, you only get this if you're a parent, but this is about fairness, right? 
Did you ever hear one of your kids say, it's not fair about one of your other kids? I mean, it, you haven't had kids yet if you haven't heard that, right? And the, and the funny thing about it is it's absolutely true. It's not fair. That's the whole point of grace. It does not make any sense that I've been living my Christian life for most of my life and at the same time, I'm going to go be with Jesus in the same place that a thief on the cross being executed for his crime who didn't do, as far as we know, anything to live for Jesus, who, who looked up at Jesus and said, hey, can I come? And Jesus said, yeah, we're going to be in the same place. We're going to be in paradise. Is that fair? No, it's not fair. But grace is not fair. That's why it's called grace. You understand? It's not fair. And gracism is when we think that we deserve it more than somebody else. Jesus told another parable about a vineyard owner who hired a bunch of people to work in the vineyard. And, uh, and, and, and he, he hired them at, you know, early in the day, and then he hired some really late in the day. And Jesus' parable, he said, I, the, the, the owner was like, you know, I'm paying the last ones first. So the people that had just been there for maybe an hour, he paid them a day's wage. So you know what happens? So the people who were working all day are thinking, well, if they got a full day's wage, we're probably going to get more. But the owner didn't do that because Jesus is telling another parable to these people who trusted in their own righteousness. And they were mad even though they had agreed to the price and he paid them what they agreed. And the owner answered them, Matthew 20, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for what I gave you? Take your pay and go. If I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I give you, don't I have the right to do that because it's my money? Or are you envious because I'm so generous? Amen. Oh, man. How do you know you have OBS? Well, you're selfish, you're a gracist, and this is the biggest problem. We'll come back to it. We just forget how good dad is. He answered his father, look, all these years I've been, what, slaving for you? And I've never disobeyed a command, and you never even gave me a goat so I could have a party. Slaving and partyless. Sound like a definition of religion to you? Because it does to me. And how does that work? It only works if you've forgotten who God is. And somehow what we can tell is that the older brother's been inside of here and he's been thinking that life out there with what his brother's been doing is better. And can I just say this? If you're thinking, if you're on the inside, if you're a believer and you're thinking about all the stuff you're missing out on it, because it sounds like it's so much more fun out there, you know, well, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd just get to keep all that money I give. I'd, I'd, I could have a wild time with the pleasures of life. I, I get to save an hour a week, you know. I, I Going to church, I get to get out of that small group of those crazy people that I have to hang out with every week. I wouldn't have to stand in the parking lot and direct traffic with people flipping me off in the church parking lot. I wouldn't have to be in the nursery changing poopy diapers I wouldn't have to do any of that but but here's the deal if that's your attitude you're forgetting how good it is in here you're forgetting how good your father is because the irony is that that, that while he's on the inside thinking about his brother out there with the prostitutes which his brother never mentions I mean he's making this stuff up right he's like oh your brother my brother's been out there having a good time while he thinks his brother's been out there having a good time his brother was starving as a pig feeder, wishing that he would have never left. Listen, guys, it's not, I'm not saying it's easy to follow Jesus. And I'm not saying it's not a challenge to take up your cross and follow him. I'm just saying this is still the best place to be. 
This is still the best place to be. The kingdom of God is already here. I 100% guarantee you this is the right place. And if you don't get that, you don't understand your dad. You are already at the party. Let me say it again. You are already at the party. Listen, I know there are some groups of Christians that like to, you know, do the slaving and partylessness thing, okay? I get that. The Amish come to mind for me, and it's just ironic because there's literally, I was studying some of this. It's in my book that I'm working on. It's ironic because the Amish have a tradition called rumspringa. Have you heard of this? Rumspringa literally means to run around. So when an when a homage child hits adolescence, they're given several years to go run around and not be Amish. So they can go do whatever they want. And, and, and there have been reports of some pretty wild and crazy Amish things going on with the teenagers, okay? And for the most part, what I've seen is not true, but they are free to go their own way and decide if they really want this life. Most of them stay close to home and do stuff in, in, in their own organized youth groups. Some of the boys, I read this, this is hilarious, some of the boys seriously put stereos in their buggies. <laughs> seriously, that's a thing. Like, you know, I'm going to rebel a little bit. I'm going to put a stereo in. Just before I die, I, I want to hear Wiz Khalifa blasting from an Amish buggy. Come on. You with me? Listen, <laughs> I, I fully respect this community and their traditions of piety, and they're not watching me anyway, so don't feel so weird about it. It's, it, it's, just, it, it's just that their relationship with the Heavenly Father sounds like kind of a grind, doesn't it? I mean, if you need to allow your children to walk away from their lifestyle with their Heavenly Father before they decide if they're going to come back to that lifestyle with their Heavenly Father, it seems like it must be a real burden. It must be slaving and partyless. And they're an extreme example, but man, it happens in Christian young people all the time, doesn't it? Walking away from their faith. There's no official rumspringa. They just leave. Why is it? It's because they don't really understand their Heavenly Father. And their church usually set them up for that. Please, you are already at the party. My son, the father said to the older brother, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours he reinstates him to the family, whether he wants it or not, was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he is found. We go through the motions, we do our chores, we're not enjoying the family and we've got to stop that. The amazing part of this is, is while, the, while the older brother is out here, while he's out there giving insults to the dad saying, I'm not coming in, my son, my, your brother, my brother is not welcome here, that, that, that God, the father in this parable says, my son. And the word for son here is not the normal word for son, it's like the tender word for a child. My child, he says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. How have you been missing this? You are already at the party. How is this not possible to understand? Bob George wrote it this way. He said, here's the problem. When Christians are living under the law, the result will be fear and guilt and frustration and feelings of condemnation. You will experience a lack of ability to love God or men. How can you love a God that you are laboring to please but never can? And when you are feeling continual guilt and condemnation, how can you be kind and forgiving to other people? 
When they appear to be doing well, you envy them, and when they fail, you judge them. After all, why should I let you off the hook if God's hammering me every time I blow it? That's the way you think under the law. We're going we're gonna to worship together with a great song at the end of this, No Longer Slaves. And man, I hope you can get a hold of that. You're just not understanding who your dad is. The father is infinitely gracious with the son who ran away and the son who stayed home and didn't get him. But he's never, ever going to apologize for loving the one who ran away. And he's never going to stop the party, and neither will we. God wants a church where prodigal sons and daughters can come in and where the people who are on the inside that at one point were prodigal sons and daughters, every one of us, can just embrace them. And that will always be the heart of Parkview Christian Church. As a matter of fact, that's never going to exist. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Father said, for so long I've been in sorrow over my lost son. I'm not going to lose another one, but he's always going to be my priority. So picture the tension in Jesus' listeners, the drama. Because, because think about this, okay? Jesus literally kicks the gate off the kingdom of heaven because they've been shutting the gate in their faces. It's a whole big part of what Jesus is complaining about. So some people are watching what Jesus just did. And they're like, yeah, Jesus, because they're the prodigals, right? They're the sinners and the tax collectors, and they're on the outside. And they're like, woo all right, we're in. And some of the people listening to Jesus, the diarrhea mouth people, right, they're burning with rage. They're burning with anger because they know he was directing that whole story at them. And both of these groups are standing there wondering what Jesus is going to say next. How is it going to end? And he doesn't end it. He's such a good storyteller. He doesn't give us the end. He just walks away. As if Jesus is saying, church, you're going to have to decide. The story can end one of two ways. The older brother is mad. He stays out, decides he doesn't want to come home, doesn't want to love his brother, ends up not loving his father, and the story could end that way, or it could end that the, that the brother sees the love of his father, and it melts his heart, and he walks into the house, and he sees his skinny, wasted, tear-stained brother, and he gives him a big hug because his heart explodes with the love that he knows he's been living with all that time. You are already at the party. Your father could not love you anymore. Join the celebration. Sing louder. Dance harder, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, and let's celebrate because this is the party, and we're already here. Bob Benson wrote my favorite story about being a dad and God. He said, nearly a year ago, Peg and I had a very hard week on a Wednesday night. Mike slept downstairs in his room where children belong, and we slept upstairs in our room where mom and dad's belong. Thursday night, we were 350 miles away, and he was in Ramada 325, and we were in 323, connecting rooms. So we left the door open, and we talked. 
Friday night we were 700 miles from home, and he was in 247, and we were in 239, but it was just down the balcony, and somehow we seemed together. Saturday night he was in the freshman dorm, and we were back in 239. By Monday night we were home, and he was 700 miles away in Chapman 309. Now we'd been through this before. Bob Jr. had gone away to college, and we gotten through that mainly because he's married now and has kids and brings them over to our house all the time. So we thought we knew how to handle separation pretty well, but we came away feeling really lonely and blue. Our hearts were filled with pride for our young man, and our minds were filled with memories from tricycles to commencements, but deep down inside somewhere, we just ached with loneliness and pain. Somebody said flippantly, well, you still have three at home, three fine kids, and there's plenty of noise and plenty of ball games to go to, and plenty of responsibilities and laughter, and plenty of everything except Mike. And in parental math, five minus one just doesn't equal plenty. Then Bob wrote, I was thinking about God. He has plenty of children, plenty of artists, singers, carpenters, candlestick makers, preachers, plenty of everybody except maybe you. And all of them together can never take your place. So there will always be an empty spot in his heart and a vacant chair at his table when you're not home. So if once in a while it seems like he's crowding you a bit, try to forgive him. It may just be one of those nights when he misses you so much he can hardly stand it. There's a party. It's awesome. You're invited. If you're at the party, enjoy it. Invite your friends. If you aren't here, you are always welcome. Your dad loves you, and we do too. Father, thank you for letting us get to be a part of your kingdom, and forgive us when we close the gate. Lord, we don't deserve to be here either. Forgive us when we're gracists. Forgive us when we're selfish. Most importantly, forgive us when we forget how good you are. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.